Welcome to an inspiring message from Pastor John Cameron, lead pastor of Arise Church in New Zealand. We know this message will encourage, inspire, and empower you. Luke chapter 14 and verse 25, um, the Bible says that large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, Jesus said, if anyone comes to me and he does not hate his father and mother, his wife, his children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Someone say, wow. And if anyone does not carry his cross and follow me, he cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost, QS, to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, I feel like we're talking about a few building projects in our country right now. Then everyone who sees it will ridicule him and say, this fellow began to build, but was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000 men? And if he is not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure heap. It is just thrown out. This is an amazing passage. And, uh, you know, if you're new to Christianity and new to church tonight, then I just want you to understand that the amazing thing about Jesus is that wherever Jesus went, crowds followed him. Jesus was attractive. People loved being around Jesus. And the Bible tells us that as our Savior is making His way down the road, that a large crowd, a massive crowd, I mean, it might be eight to 10,000 people is following Jesus down the road. And as He sees the crowd, Jesus senses the danger in the crowd. Because the problem with life, my friends, is that if all you do with your life is follow the crowd, if all you're swayed by is popular opinion, then the chances are you're setting yourself up for a lot of heartache and a lot of brokenness and a lot of folly in the daily decisions of your life. We've got to find, we've got to find a more solid foundation than that. And Jesus is trending. Jesus is popular. Jesus is the talk of the town. And because of that, a lot of people are following Him. And in order to give some clarity, Jesus is saying, man, I don't want anybody following me under some kind of illusion about what they're buying into because that would be just a waste of their time and a waste of mine. And to give some clarity to the situation, Jesus is like, okay, you guys are following me down the road, but it doesn't mean you are my followers. You're hanging around because this thing is popular, but that doesn't mean that it's impacting your life. 
Jesus really saying, and I think he's saying to a lot of people in this room tonight, you came around me, that's what Jesus is saying. You came near me because you're looking for some key that can change your life. And in order for you to get that key, in order for your life to be impacted, then we better understand what that impact really requires. Stopping in his tracks, Jesus looks up, and I want to read it one more time because it's so crazy when you hear it out loud. Jesus said, if anyone comes to me and he does not hate, we're here baptism night. There's a lot of family here this evening. And how amazing is it that Jesus is saying, if you don't hate your father and hate your mother, your wife, your children, your brothers, your sisters, if you had a cat, we could empathize. Come on. If, I've lived with a cat in my home for 20 years. I've hated it every day. I mean, it died. I'm not sad at all. I hate cats. They're going to hell. But he's talking here about wife and children and brothers and sisters. Yes, if he does not hate his own life, then he cannot be my disciple. And I don't know about you, but when I read that and I hear what Jesus is putting out there, that might be the hardest thing that our Savior said. And we're talking here tonight in this series about unfollowing. We're talking here about the fact that in our lives, we can get swept away with a lot of opinion and a lot of things and a lot of concerns that can clutter and cloud and somehow confuse our lives and lead us down pathways. And we can find ourselves in positions of our lives where we're really feeling like we are snared. And in our morning series, we're talking about how we can be full followers of Jesus, how our lives can be devoted to Him. And in opening the series tonight, I kind of want to start by combining our two topics into one. Because Jesus says, listen, if you don't hate basically all the most important relationships in your life and your own life, then you cannot be my disciple. Now, when you read this, my friends, and you hear that, you're like, wow, what is Jesus saying? Well, it's important for us to know that Jesus is giving to us a sense of contrast. And he's speaking in the hyperbole of his age. Jesus is speaking to us with the highest contrast that his language affords to him. He's trying to say to us, uh, in fact, you could accurately translate this word hate. You could translate it in the Bible. By the way, it never is. Every time it's translated in Scripture, it's called hate, hate, hate. But you could translate it to simply just to say love less. And what Jesus is saying is he's saying, listen, when you come to me, you can't, you can't come to me and want to be my disciple and have equal or greater love in your life for your father, for your mother, for your sister, for your brother, for your wife, for your children, or your demon-possessed cat. <laughs> Jesus is saying, when you come to me and you want to be my disciple, you have to decide that everything else in your life is going to be of lesser value than me. Wow, wow. Jesus is saying, I must be more loved, more adored, and more esteemed in your life than anything else. It's strong language, isn't it? I mean, anybody with me? Anybody like I'm a little awkward that I even come to church to hear that? 
It's strong language. And the reason why it's strong language is because the opportunity Jesus is giving us is not cheap. He's not offering to us something that if Jesus didn't come to this earth team to make us religious. I mean, a lot of people are like, yeah, yeah, I like that person because they're religious and they go to church and that's good, you know. They're kind to people and dolphins, you know, and it's like somehow, somehow because we got religious, it kind of cured us from being these, you know, I, I, I don't know, just these other people, right? Well, Jesus didn't come to this world just to make you religious. He's not offering to us a, a, a more decent life. He's inviting us on the most transformative journey that any person can ever experience. He's not saying, hey, if anybody here would like to be a kinder person to cats, he's saying, he's saying if anybody wants to be my disciple, if you, wanna, if you wanna get really close, not just to a religious figure, but to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, if you want me to be at the center of your life, if you want who I am to begin to define you, then you better take everything else in your life and you better love it a lot less. You need to care more about me than you do about yourself. Wow. Anybody here uh, ever had any guys out there tonight ever had one of your friends, one of, one of the boys uh, fall madly in love with a girl? Um, for any young, young adults out there, this, is, this either hasn't happened yet or has happened yet, but one thing is for sure, it will happen. And this is what happens. You've got a crew of boys, and nothing better in life than having, you know, being 19 years old and having your crew, you know? And you're just rolling through life, and it's beach trips and road trips and movie trips and pool trips, weekend traditions and stuff that's got to go down, and, you know, little, little, little packs and little ways of treating one another. You've got language that's creeping in there. You know, and maybe it's five guys, maybe it's six guys. Normally it's a car size or less, but you got your posse because everybody's broke when they're 19, right? You got your posse, you're rolling through life, and then suddenly, 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 one of the boys sees a girl, right? Yeah. I mean, you've had, you've had the same pancakes every Saturday morning at 11 for three years, you know? You've, you've gone to the pool hall every Tuesday night since you left high school, and suddenly you're going through the events of life and just one by one, your buddy just begins to drop out. <laughs> Anybody ever experienced this? It's like, the people are pointing at people. I thought you were pointing at me. There is literally being people identified right now. Hey, this is not name and shame here, guys. Love covers. And then suddenly, suddenly the guy begins, and it's a really awkward time in boyhood and in, in brotherhood as suddenly one of the lads begins to care more about what this blonde girl with, you know, with the long legs thinks more, more than what one of the lads thinks. And, and, and it can bring into guy-guy into relationships a lot of tension and a lot of stress. And even though it's awkward and even though it does have some moments where it doesn't seem that right or cool and it can even form arguments and guys can feel betrayed, you know. We, we, can, be, we can be really, really like easily hurt men, you know, when it, it comes to the brotherhood. And, and you know, everybody, it's just tense, it's tense, it's tense. But one thing we would all agree, at the end of the day, if... 
that guy is going to end up marrying that girl. It is an imperative to the success of that relationship that he loves her more than he loves his friends. At the end of the day, the boys in his life will come and go, but we want that marriage to endure. And in order for that to take place, something has got to change in those relationships. And Jesus is saying to us, listen, I'm not inviting you to get religious and I'm not asking you to become a more frequent church attending person or even a cat lover. Jesus is saying, I wanna know, would you like to be my disciple? Jesus is inviting us, team, into the kingdom of heaven. He's saying, man, would you like the lordship of Jesus to be over your life? Would you like to not be controlled for the first time ever by what people think of you, by the concerns of our age, by the pressures of life? Would you like for the first time in your life to be free of having the devil trying to drive you towards different activities? And would you like to have your sin forgiven? Would you like to have a plan, a plan for your life that inspires you every day that you remain on this planet? And Jesus is saying, if we're going to get that, if we're going to have the kind of change come to our lives that God really wants, then he's saying, you've got to put me above all else. I must be the central love. I must be the central desire. I must be first, Jesus is saying. I must be above all else. In relationships, there comes a key moment sometimes, doesn't there, when we have to choose between one or the other. Is it friend or is it girlfriend? Is it wife or is it leisure activities? And the reason why we've got to decide, the reason why these decisions will come to us, even though we can try and avoid them as long as we want, a great life is not one where you spend your time trying to avoid those decisions. If you want a fruitful life, if you want your life to be easy, if you want your life to be hard, then make no decisions. If you want your life to be ridiculously, I hate decisions. I hate decisions so much because my whole life is about making, my job is essentially making the right decision. Most people do everything else, but I have to make the right decision. And so when someone came up to me before the service and said, what do you want for dinner? I'm like, ask Ben. I don't want to make another, I made it here. I got on the plane. I've made enough decisions for one day, right? My kids are breathing. I'm out. Food is now up to somebody else. I mean, it's just, I'm done and dusted. But at the end of the day, if you spend your life not making decisions, you'll make your life hard. So if we want a great life, what we're better to do is we're better to make some front up decisions at the start. When I said yes to marrying Jillian, I said no. I said yes to her, but I said no to every other girl on the planet. I said no at that moment to any of my boys being closer to me than her. I said no to any other activity in my life that was gonna compete with my love for her. And because my priorities are set, my life just got easy. And Jesus is saying, man, if you want a messed up, complicated life, if you want to be confused by 10 a.m., then don't make a decision where God sits in your life. 
And if you want this Christian thing to be around you, but never change you, if you want church to be something you attend, but you only get enough of it that church becomes like a flu jab. See, some people think they've got religion when all they got was inoculated. Do you know how they cure you of the flu? Do you know what a flu jab is? Just enough of the flu that your body can experience it, but not enough that it can impact it. And when we open up our lives to a little bit of churchianity, when we become good church people, but we don't decide where Jesus fits. Are you, you hearing me tonight? When we don't go through the things in our lives and say, well, I love Jesus more than you. And I love Jesus more than you. And I love Jesus more than you. And if we don't go through a deliberate decision, a deliberate process, we can get just enough of Christianity that we're not truly vile but not enough that the Lordship of Jesus begins to change our daily lives. And Jesus saying, let's just get real. You can hang around me all you want. You can be part of the crowd. But at the end of the day, if you're going to follow me, you've got to unfollow everything else. You can't be my disciple unless you care about me more than you care about everything else. And let's just be clear. Jesus in saying, do you want to be my disciple? Is offering to you and me the greatest offer that has ever been given. To have our lives shaped by the leadership of Jesus. Wow. Man, I don't know about you, but I've been around some good leaders. I've been around some bad leaders. But you think about what difference it makes what a good leader does, what a bad leader does to a family, to a community, to a city, to a nation, to a school. Man, when you think about the lordship of Jesus, the leadership of Jesus daily impacting your life, well, that's something I want in on. I mean, when we think about having His presence in our lives, that's what He's inviting us to have, that presence. I was talking to, talking to someone this afternoon. I can't remember who it was. Yeah, I was talking to Pastor Chris White, one of our pastors. And I was saying, Chris, do you realize that the only thing that ever kept Jesus awake at night was choosing leaders? I mean, there was a storm in the middle of the night, night so tempestuous that waves were breaking into a boat and Jesus slept through it. When you think about what it is to have someone who is so in command of their emotions, the King of Kings and Lord of Lords now becomes the King of my emotions. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, to have His presence making access to my daily life, guiding me, deciding what I care about, impacting my daily reality. To wake up every morning to being Jesus' disciple is to wake up every morning and for your life to have a purpose to never question whether you are here for a reason or not. You don't say yes to the Lordship of Jesus and then doubt whether your life counts. That's not true. I mean, people might call you a zealot. People might call you on fire. People might call you radical. But at the end of the day, if the Lordship of Jesus touches your life, one thing they'll never say is that you are without a purpose for your life. Come on, you know what I'm talking about? I'm grateful that I serve the God who's got a purpose for my life. To say yes to be a disciple of Jesus is to say yes to having an intimate relationship with the creator of the world. But Jesus said, man, if we want that in our world, then we must be willing, if we're going to follow, to completely unfollow. 
everything else. Jesus goes on, and the reason why I read out the whole story is because sometimes we just get little bits of the Bible, we don't think about the context, but this is one whole thing here. As Jesus goes on, and to to get this to really connect with our lives, Jesus begins to tell another story. The story is to elaborate on the point. He makes the point, and then he tells two stories. He says, imagine if one of you wants to build a tower, If you're going to build a tower, then the first thing you need to do before you even start is you've got to sit down and you've got to first estimate the cost. You've got to get real about what it takes not to begin it, but what is going to be required if you're going to finish it. And then Jesus is clear. He goes, listen, the reason why you better do that is because if you don't and you start building and you get halfway through and you run out, you don't have a tower. You have an embarrassment that is reaching to the sky. And when people walk past, they are going to, and Jesus literally said this. He said, when they walk past it, they are going to ridicule you. They're going to say, here is that guy. This is Jesus. Not me. This is Jesus. Here is that guy who started the tower, but he couldn't complete it. Jesus saying, listen, before you even start this discipleship journey, let's just be clear. Before you start this followership journey, let's get it real. Oh man, this tower, this following me, this can radically change your life. It can fill you with purpose. It can, uh, it can bring my presence. It can lead you into an intimate relationship with the creator of the universe. It is living under the leadership of the only one who it knows with absolute wisdom what is the best thing for you to do in every moment of your life, but to do it. You better make sure that you're willing to surrender your life to the Lordship you better be ready to unfollow and to follow. He goes on, he tells another story and he says, you know, there was a king and, and he wanted to go out to battle. And he says, if the king wants to go out to battle, then he's got to first sit down and he's got to ask himself, with 10,000 soldiers, do I have what it takes to confront this army with 20,000 soldiers? If I'm half in, have I got what it takes to go the whole way? If I've got only a little bit of the resources, have I got what it takes to make it the whole distance? And if I don't, then I better sit down and while the delegation is still a long way off, I better make sure that I'm asking for terms of peace. In the same way, Jesus said, this is the very next scripture, anyone of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Jesus is saying, if you're half in, have you got a winning formula? If you haven't given your life wholly to me, have you got what it takes to defeat the devil? Have you got what it takes to win the war. There's a a really funny story in the book of Acts uh, that I love so much. And it tells the story of a priest whose name is Sceva, not not the priest so much, but his sons, the seven sons of Sceva. And it's just like a great, you immediately know it's gonna be a good story when you've got the seven sons of Sceva. The seven sons of Sceva. It's like a nursery rhyme waiting to happen, (laughs) except the next bit makes it not appropriate for a nursery rhyme. 
We've got the seven sons of Sceva, and the seven sons of Sceva have a, a business, and their business is exorcism. It's, yeah, I just said that out loud in church. Exorcism was their business, and they, they heard about Jesus, and they heard about the apostle Paul, and they heard that because they had power from Jesus, that they were able to drive out demons, and demons just came out at the name of Jesus. So they, they've got this whole like hustle going down, a whole process. I bet it was lengthy. I bet it charged the people a lot of money. And along comes Jesus and Paul, and they're just literally going in the name of Jesus, come out. Or Jesus just said, come out. He didn't say in his, because that would be weird. But you know, they were just able to drive out demons at will. And the seven sons of Sceva are like, you know what? We, could, we can get in on this. We can charge the same, but go through half the process. And we can get, this is, this is going to increase our margins. We can double our profitability. This is going to be amazing. So then they find this demon-possessed dude. And the Bible says that the seven sons of Sceva go up and they said, in the name of Jesus and in the name of Paul, come out of the man. And it's hilarious what happens next because the demon speaking through the person looks up at the seven sons of Sceva and this is what he says. He says, well, Jesus I know and Peter I know, but who are you? Then the demon-possessed dude literally jumps up to his feet and begins to beat up the seven sons of Sceva and the Bible says they end up running away butt naked. They're running down the street without their clothes. I mean, it's just a hilarious story. But here's the thing. They, they went out to get involved in it, and all they had was the name of it, but they didn't have the lordship of it. They've been around it, but they've never bowed to it. Jesus said, listen, there is power in my name. The name of Jesus does drive out demonic forces. I'm telling you, man. I have seen it. I have watched sickness go. I have seen people get radically healed. I've been in nations of the world where literally incurable diseases are getting cured every single day at the name of Jesus. There is power in the name of Jesus. And if you believe it, give them about three seconds of crazy praise. Come on, there's power in the name of Jesus. But the seven sons of Sceva show us that the battle is not won when the name of Jesus is on our lips without the love for Jesus in our hearts. The seven sons of Sceva show us that for our Christian experience to be transformative, it's not a 50-50 part in, part out. It's not a Christian on Sunday, other person on a Monday kind of deal. If Christianity is going to impact us, if the love of God, by the way, I want you to understand that the love of God is the only pure love available to us in all the world. God's not trying to sell you something. God is not a consumer force out there. There's nothing manipulative, nothing coercive about the love of God. The love of God is in no way filtered or impure. The love of God is nothing that is tainted in any way. The only pure love available in the world today without an ounce of dupliciousness, without anything that wants to take from you. The only perfect love in our world is the love of Jesus. And if you're grateful for the love of Jesus, give Him some praise in this place. Oh, man. If we want the love of Jesus to begin to change our lives, then Jesus is saying, I would love that for you. I would love that for you. 
But don't think for a minute that the love of God is going to impact your life if you want to sample it. If you want it, then you have to say, I am willing to accept it. And I guess this is why a lot of people can struggle sometimes to get their head around Christianity because they're like, well, what, is, what does it really mean? What Christianity really means is loving God. It's not religion. It's a relationship. If we could just circle back to family for a second, I, d- I just think some people hear that and they're like, oh my gosh, I want to get my kids out of that environment. I want to get everybody out of that environment. You've got to hear this right. I've been married to 22, for 22 years to the same woman. That's not bad. That's pre- In our day and age, that's pretty awesome. 22 years. Our marriage is better today than it has ever been. Yet I just need you to understand something. Jillian wouldn't be in any way embarrassed by me saying this. That's the name of my wife. I love Jesus more than I love her. In fact, the reason why my marriage has not only endured 22 years, but has been enjoyed. Not every day for 22 years have I enjoyed. That's, that's just bulldust and stargazing and hypocrisy. That's not real. But the reason why my marriage is enjoyed is because I love Jesus more than her. Whilst I'm trying to love her, God is love. I can give love to Jillian, but I can't get love from Jillian. What God is, he never runs out of. I can feel love from Jillian, but I can't get it to give it from her. If you're trying to get from your human relationships what you can only get from God, then you'll end up in a messed up life and you'll drain the people around you and you'll end up empty too. And we wonder why we're all fighting and bickering and breaking up and divisions are happening in families. It's not because of Jesus. It's because of a lack of Jesus. When Jesus is in his rightful place in our lives, it ain't gonna take from your relationships. It's gonna bless them. You're gonna find forgiveness you never knew you had. Grace you never knew you possessed. Optimism you never thought you would know. Hope when you thought you might have given up. And prayers that'll change relationships forever. Man, we need Jesus in our relationships. If you believe that, say amen. As the band come and join me, try and do it quietly, guys. It's the loudest auditorium in the freaking world. But anyway, do it your best. And everybody look at me and forget about those attractive people making their way to the stage. Jesus, Jesus is saying to us, He's giving to us a massive invitation. He's saying, would you like to be my disciple? To have your life shaped and molded by Jesus. Yeah, let's get that real. Jesus is saying, if you want to be my disciple, it means I'm going to have an input, not just a little one, a massive one into your life. And you're going to be looking at that and going, oh, I don't know about that. But think about it, friend, that every day a materialistic culture is shaping your life. Every day an exploitative age is shaping your life. We live in an individualistic, self-centered generation. We live in a sexualized and sensualized age of history. And in the middle of all of that, Jesus is saying, I would love to give you an invitation to uncouple your life from every force that is trying to define you and give you access to the only one who truly 
loves you. Jesus is saying, you can have your life shaped and molded by the only one who doesn't take our life, but gave us life. The one who does not exploits, exploit us, but gives to us. The one who isn't trying to get from you, but the one who gave it all for you. That's the invitation of Jesus. And when we become, when we become followers of Jesus, I'm sorry I gave you the wrong passage because I'd love this one to jump up on the screen. But at the end of it, he says this, he says this, he says, salt is good, but if salt loses saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's fit neither for the soil nor for the manure heap. You just simply just throw it away. And here's the invitation of Jesus. He's saying, listen, I want to invite you into relationship with me. I want to invite you to allow me to treat, become the Lord of your life. Because when I become the Lord of your life, you'll become the salt of the earth. When I become the center of your affections, then you are gonna have an impact in the world in which you live. Your purpose is found in your surrender. When we unfollow from other things and we follow Jesus, it makes the greatest impact possible. Our lives come alive with purpose. Without Jesus being the center of our affections, we start, but we don't finish. We fight, but we lose the war. We have no flavor and we are found completely worthless. There are three impacts of not surrendering our lives to God, ridicule, defeat, and worthlessness. He says, you'll be ridiculed, you'll be defeated, and you'll be seen of no value. But you know what? I just believe with all my heart that when you and I, nah. I was raised in church. I was a church kid. I slept in sleeping bags at the back of church during the night service. We didn't have it at five o'clock. Our night service was at seven o'clock. And my mom and dad were so mental for Jesus that they'd take little five-year-old kids and put us in sleeping bags at the back of the church service so that we could, we could still make it to church. I mean, that was, that was my childhood. I was raised in church. I was around Christianity. I absorbed it. I got baptized when I was 11 years old because my brother and my sister were, and I didn't want to be the one who didn't. I mean, I was around it, I was in it, but I wasn't impacted by it. I cared what my friends thought. I cared about the opinions of other people. I cared about my own wants and desires. And so at the age of 14, I pretty much walked away from it all. But when I turned 18 years old and I made a decision five weeks after my 18th birthday, on my father's birthday, May the 12th, that I was gonna open up my life to Jesus. I knew what I was doing that night. I knew I was opening up my life to the wonder of God, that I was surrendering my life to Jesus Christ, that Jesus was going to be number one in my life. And I was apprehensive. Anybody here ever ask somebody on a date that you actually care about? You're apprehensive too. Anybody here ever taken a step towards someone that you truly love? It is a slightly fear-inspiring thing. And I was, I was apprehensive. I was slightly afraid. But making that choice that night was not an empty religious decision. 
It was like, I know, I know, Jesus, you want to be at the center of my life. I know that you're going to change the way I think. I know, I knew in saying yes to Jesus that some of my friendships were going to have to go from being very important to me to extremely unimportant to me. Because the direction they were going and the direction Jesus wanted me to go was totally different. I knew that that was what was going to be required that night. And that's why a lifetime in church had so little impact on my life. But one moment of saying yes to the reality of the Lordship of Jesus changed my life forever. 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 I woke up the next day after saying yes to Jesus on my 18th birthday on, on May the 12th. And the moment I woke up, it was like somebody had turned up the lux on the view out my window. Like the grass was greener, like the birds even had a louder chirp in them. The sun hit not just my body, but my soul. I felt content, content. I don't know if you've ever felt content in all your life, but when Jesus came to the center of my life, I didn't need anything. I wasn't signed up for the materialistic buzz. I was just in love with Jesus. I had everything I need because I had Jesus and He is enough. And if you believe that, give Him about three seconds of praise. Come on, I found Jesus. I found Jesus. And that changed my life. I woke up that next morning and from that day till this day, I have never questioned whether my life was for a purpose. I've never doubted that God had a plan for my life. It's not about a stage. It's not about a profile. It's about the fact that I knew that I existed for a reason and that I could help some people and that God was going to use me. And I was here because He loves me. And I want you to know God's got a purpose for your life. And there is a reason why you are here. And there is a God who loves you. If you would like to find out more about Arise Church and Pastor John Cameron, visit arisechurch.com or connect with us on Instagram at arisechurch and at johncameronnz.